Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's happening, everybody? Hey, hey. So, this week, for this episode, we're going to do a little something different. We thought, due to a, an odd coincidence, we found a library book that we were both interested in uh, that just happened to touch upon current events that happened to be going on in the world. The comic that we came upon was Putin's Russia, The Rise of a Dictator by Daryl Cunningham. We thought that this would be a good opportunity to review a biographical comic about a person. And um, I feel funny calling him this, but he's kind of become a character in this great international tragedy. Mm -hmm. It just felt like it'd be a good opportunity for us to review a, co a comic that covered the topic and as well as a chance for us to talk about something that neither of us are too familiar with and just educate ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts that you wanted to add to that? Well, I think we've got a good amount to say about the comic itself. It's a work of nonfiction, heavily researched. And like you said, it, it's something that be, just because it's it's about Putin, you know, we're just in this time right now with the invasion in Ukraine where he's more relevant than ever. Because I think for probably the average person who doesn't pay super close attention to world politics, well, people knew who Putin is, who Putin was, but mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily think about him on you know a regular basis at least here in america i don't think like i certainly rarely ever talk to my friends about putin you know other than you just because you're like one of the few people i talk to who engages in politics and you know watches and reads the news and stuff like that a lot of mm. people they only hear about big events you know so like the kind of day-to-day -day stuff if he's not if he's not invading a country they're not probably <laughs> gonna think about him you know and heck, even when he when he did annex uh, the Crimea. Crimean pen the peninsula, yeah, when he annexed that, they I still don't think I heard too many other people uh, talking about that, in, in at least in the circle of, of friends that I have generally. But yeah, um, now it, now it's like everybody has to be aware of who he is, and this comic book biography that we read, it's quite enlightening especially if you haven't already read any biographies about Vladimir Putin. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of facts in here and information that, yeah, I, I would say it does give us insight into, maybe not necessarily into his mind, but at, at least it, it gives us insight into his character and, yeah. and who he is. It's interesting that you bring up um the stuff about Crimea because I remember at the time that that happened I thought it was a big deal because he essentially took over an entire chunk of another country you know maybe yeah. it, it wasn't something that wasn't on the scale of a of a full-on invasion but you know imagine if Canada came in here and took over like Maine or something like that's not a small deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, you're you're right. It's It just felt like most other people that 
I mean, the world certainly didn't really do anything about it, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's certainly true that there were a lot of disapproving hemming. There was a lot of disapproving hemming and hawing and maybe even a couple of sanctions. And we we often see sanctions as being the most, the strongest, most ineffective thing that they could do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of the furthest that most nations are willing to go without committing... Actually going to war. Yeah, a- actual war for something like that. And that's understandable to some degree. I, like, we... I think we've had our fill of war for the past couple of years, and uh, the idea of just engaging in another one, uh, especially one with... A country like Russia that's a, a superpower is is a pretty daunting thought. Well, yeah. a nuclear superpower. They're not quite uh, yeah. a superpower uh, in any other areas in, in recent years. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of curious. Um, I guess the, the first thing I want to ask you is just just that. Like, what, what, what was your awareness of Putin prior to that? Like you personally, me personally. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you ask Ja Rule that question, man? <laughs> what about Ja? What does Ja think? <laughs> I mean, I knew who he was, obviously, just because yeah. he was the leader of Russia. Um, you know, I think I heard of him probably like twenty something, twenty years ago or so, because uh-huh. I think he came to power what around two thousand. So like it's been all this time that he's he's been at the at the head even that short period when somebody else was technically their leader he was still like part of that guy's cabinet and that guy was you know yeah. his crony essentially so yeah it, I don't yeah I don't think that really counts as him not being in power yeah so, so the he's, guy was Medvedev and he was essentially his handpicked successor to be president and i think during that period of time putin was his prime minister yeah you know so he was like i'm not president anymore but i'm gonna be prime minister but everybody kind of knew that he was just running things behind the scenes yeah yeah because i think their constitution said that he wasn't allowed to run anymore after that or something like that yeah yeah Yeah. it's uh pretty pretty twisted uh veneer of democracy there it's a mockery yeah it's a mockery (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) you know for him to go i'm technically not president so i'm not breaking our uh our rules about um you know term limits (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah and I, i think just in in the past probably how long has it been since they annexed Crimea? What, you know what year was that? You know what's weird, man? Like, I was looking at the news, and uh-huh. they were saying that I think they just celebrated the 10-year anniversary of the annexing of Crimea. And when I saw that, I was like, holy crap, that was 10 years ago? Oh, wow. It's right? been that long, huh? Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I That's think that weird. that was the point when I when I started to realize, oh, okay, he's he's like not just a bad guy, but he's like worse, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, just hearing things over the years, the different stories of of uh, just his opponents, whether they're they were journalists who were critical towards him or political rivals, how how people would mysteriously die or i guess it's not too mysterious now that we've read this biography <laughs> but <laughs> it's as mysterious as as uh, a scott snyder mystery <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i th- i think reading about news articles like that gave me it it's different after I feel different after reading this comic because this comic well number one it's fresh in my mind and then secondly I think the because the facts that were presented in in this biography um with there they were Daryl Cunningham was able to present a compelling yeah exactly about the character of this man yeah because then because there's a there's a pattern that's established like yeah when we start getting deeper into the book i I think we'll we'll talk about it but uh just briefly the the idea of a series of of people who were either critical towards putin himself or at least this this uh state leadership Mm -hmm. and political rivals who were outspoken against him they they just either got poisoned or they touched some kind of nerve agent yeah or uh even got assassinated you know just a straight up old fashioned yeah. hit and even though there isn't anything that specifically directly points to putin as the one who gave the order to do those things it's pretty hard to imagine that anybody else besides him at the very least wanted that to happen you know yeah like i could like if you said that oh this specific crony of his was the one who actually ordered that i just kind of shrug and like to me that's like that's him doing that you know it doesn't make that much of a difference to me absolutely what about Uh, you man What, what were your thoughts on putin before recent events i think I think the dude was always a bad dude. Um, I think going way back, um, I like, I like you mentioned, he's he's someone that I've been paying attention to just for years, just because I'm kind of a news junkie, and yeah, like uh, I'll I'll have to admit that a lot of the anecdotes that were presented in the comic were things that. I had already been aware of in some form or another, but I do think the comic was able to help by filling in details that I wasn't aware of, you know? Yeah. So he's and definitely, there were a lot of things in, in the book that happened, you know, over 10 years ago that I had kind of forgotten about, or I just mm-hmm. don't, re- didn't remember. So the book really reminded me of those events too, or brought them to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think the guy definitely had a, he's had a long 
long-running pattern of behavior, like you said, where, um, you know, after the after the end of the Cold War, where everything was in chaos and Russia was a fledgling democracy, I th- I think I think ever since Putin's appearance on the public stage, he's he's definitely shown that. He's a guy who is concerned with power and, mm-hmm. you know, like he he's he's more or less thumbed his nose at the. At the governing doctrines that are meant to control his power, like the entire time that he's been there. So, you know, when when he when Medvedev became his president and he became the prime minister, yeah, that was such an obvious kind of uh um it was such an obvious tactic to remain in power without actually being in power and mm-hmm. uh and then for him to just re-enter the presidency after that and essentially rewrite their constitution so that he could yeah. be president for life. Like yeah. that's not that's not the 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 markings of a man who doesn't care about power, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, But in addition to that, I feel like Putin's been a guy who has been a thorn in the side of the United States or the world for most of his time in in power because, you know, he's inserted himself into different foreign uh, wars that... uh, that where where the United States has backed uh, the peoples who who are who are suffering essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So like the one example that I can think of is Syria, where um, I forget the name of the oh Bashar al-Assad in Assyria was was about to be overthrown by his people, and rightfully so because they, you know, mm-hmm. they they were just they were basically protesting because. They felt like the government was not doing its job by not keeping them fed. You know, all they wanted was food and, you know, stability and the government couldn't provide them that. So Mm -hmm. the United States was throwing their moral support behind these, you know, resistance fighters. And then Putin injected himself into that situation by providing him arms and even soldiers, I believe. Mm-hmm. To the point where, uh, you know, all these years later, like if you look at Syria, and I know a lot of people might not be paying attention to it, but if you look at Syria now, it's just if you think Ukraine is bad, it's just uh, uh, it's terrible over there in Syria. You know, it's it's just a mess. Um, yeah, isn't isn't he a war criminal? Who Putin or Bashar uh, al-Assad? Al-Assad. I believe. I mean. I believe he is. It wouldn't surprise me. I, like I don't know what formal terms or or uh, motions they took. Uh, or at least he's he's probably like suspected. Well, here's the thing. I think Russia is like the chair of the war crimes tribunal in the United Nations. So that's another way in which the I believe that they'd be helping their interest mm-hmm. because. I think if the United Nations tried to, you know, label uh, Bashar al-Assad as a war criminal, 
uh, all all Russia has to do is veto it, you know? <laughs> no, I'm serious, because yeah. right now right now in the news, they're talking about how the United Nations wants to do a vote to remove Russia from that seat because they're clearly abusing the power of that seat, you know? Yeah, I think I saw a headline for that recently, too. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty it's, absurd. It is, it is really absurd. It's a, it's a slap in the face of, like, you know, of what the 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 seat was meant for you know exactly yeah but yeah so he he just seemed kind of like the guy kind of guy who would just interject himself and he's almost like the living embodiment of a troll of an internet troll if it was a country you know so hey russia does have those troll farms don't they they do they do but there was, yeah, so there was, you know, there are these little altercations uh, in various regions in the world. Um, I want to say that they had, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say because I can't say for sure. But, um, and then, you know, when, when the election happened, there was all that news about how um, Putin really made it an effort on his part to uh you talking guess, about the american when trump won yeah and how like, he tried to interfere with the election yeah like yeah I'm, i don't know if he was doing it because he favored trump or if he was just doing it just to mess with the election like i if i had to say my personal belief is i think he was just doing it just to mess with us as a country you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and yeah like what 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 greater victory could there be than to to prove that you know the bastion of democracy is as you know flawed as any other country right that yeah stuff like that could happen over here that um, makes sense that because the way I view Putin is he's somebody who just absolutely hates the West. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um but yeah, I feel like when that happened, that was maybe the last time we heard a, a whole bunch about Putin for a little while from a lot of people and then yeah. it just kind of disappeared for a while. And if that had been the end of his story, I, I was watching a news article that essentially said this, and I do I do think I agree with them to some degree, which is if that had been the end of the story, what greater triumph could there have been for him to essentially sit sit atop, you know, his country and to have proved to the West that, you know, from where he sat, he was able to, you know, influence our election, influence our election and make us look foolish right yeah and and yeah so that's if that had been the end of his story that he could have i guess he could have rode off into the sunset or whatever but in recent uh in recent news we obviously see that he decided to go so much further than that yeah 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 i think putin has a medieval mind but he's living in the present day yeah he's, he's got that men- that old uh 
he has like, the idea I'm in the of the terrible empire. mentality. Yeah. Yeah, he, and he believes in empire. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's he's uh he's got even though he has a medieval mind, he has access to modern technology and weapons to to do what he wants and to get what he wants, which makes whether, him more dangerous almost. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, whether it's poison gas or nerve agents, cyber warfare, yeah. misinformation campaigns, yeah, uh military weapons including nuclear weapons. He just hates the West and he wants yeah. to restore Russian glory and and that includes reclaiming territory that he views yeah. as belonging to Mother Russia. Yeah. And he was also a former KGB operative and I yeah. I think he probably viewed the Soviet Union as the peak of modern Russian imperial glory. He probably doesn't yeah. hold ideological communism. Yeah. But I think he certainly liked how the Soviet bloc gave Russia additional layers of protection, you know, because like it made them players. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And you're right. Like he I, I don't think he was ideologically a communist either, but he was. I guess you could say he's an imperialist. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. I will say. Uh. There is one story that I do remember, just just for the sake of levity. Um. What's the name of? Okay. So the one story that I remember, one other story that I remember of Putin, is that. On this one occasion, he met with Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots. And, you know, they they had a cordial uh, meeting with one another. And he was talking to Robert Kraft and he wanted to see uh, the Super Bowl rings that the Patriots had won. And, uh, you know, Robert Kraft talking to a statesman, the leader of a nation, was like, "Uh, okay, I guess I'll show him. So he, like, puts out his hand and he shows the rings and Putin's looking at him, and then suddenly Putin's guards come up, and they, like, rush him away as if though something was going on. <laughs> but the next thing Robert Kraft knows, he's missing, I think, one of his Super Bowl rings. Yeah. So Putin stole Robert Kraft's Super Bowl ring. <laughs> that might be the best thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pretty funny story, man. I forgot about that. <laughs> Not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, going back to the comic that we're talking about today, we're talking about the Putin's Russia, The Rise of a Dictator by Daryl Cunningham. And this was a comic that was published by Drawn and Quarterly in February of 2022. So it's a recent book. I believe it was originally published in the UK uh, by Myriad editions. So probably came out a little bit uh, earlier than when we got it, but uh, it's, it's kind of weird timing because we, we had discovered this book uh, or at least we, we learned that it was coming out several months ago before all the stuff in Ukraine happened. And just the idea of a comic book biography about Putin was interesting. So we, requested the library to to pick it up and and As by the we time were we waiting for it to arrive all this stuff happened yeah exactly so it was just a pretty bizarre coincidence 
Yeah, yeah, really bizarre timing. I mean, this book goes up to pretty recent times. I mean, obviously, it came out before the invasion began, but it it goes through, you know, I think the end of 2020, um, maybe a little bit through early 2021. Like, it, it definitely covers the COVID era and talks a little bit about what's what's been going on after COVID began. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's kind of chilling in a way if when you read this book and, and you realize that all the things that, like all the warning signs about Putin's proclivities were, were right there. And in a sense, uh, I think there is a part of this book that sort of functions as as like a rebuke to the rest of us for not really paying attention to what he's been doing all this time and, and just letting him run unchecked. I think the book makes the argument that letting him run unchecked for all this time has basically brought us to the point where we have the problems that he is the source of yeah. to this day. Yeah. I mean, there's no way. Well, okay. I won't say there's no way that he could have known that Putin was going to invade Ukraine as a whole. <laughs> yeah. But on some level, it almost feels like he kind of <laughs> foresaw something coming when, yeah. by the time you finish reading the book, you know? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. maybe he didn't put it in quite as stark terms as to say, oh, yeah, if we continue to ignore him and his. Um, and his actions, he's eventually going to invade Ukraine. Well, he doesn't quite say that, but you, you certainly get the sense that, you know, as time goes on, Putin will just become more and more of a threat, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and I do feel like there's a part of me that understands the idea of not wanting to be alarmist and, you know, and being hopeful and optimistic at, at the idea that eventually, uh, you know, eventually his comeuppance will come to him and he will be deposed without us having to go to anything as extreme as a war. But, Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, what we're seeing now is uh, it wasn't even it didn't even end up being a war that we uh, incited. And and it almost feels like the more leverage we gave him, the more it just emboldened him to do more and more over time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really easy to look back in hindsight and say that there's more we should have done. But again, I understand the idea of not wanting to go, not wanting to be the one who starts that kind of a conflict with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, geopolitics is complicated and it's only really through the lens of like his history is what really tells us, you know, what, what, we could have or should have done. I think yeah. in the moment it's, it's really difficult to, to yeah. make those kinds of decisions. So you can't really Sunday morning quarterback, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mon- and, Monday morning quarterback. 
Oh, Monday morning. You're right. Monday morning quarterback. Unless you're sat- Sunday morning quarterbacking uh, the college games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's another thing. Like, I just don't. I, I think there are some things that are obviously stupid or foolish, but uh, in terms of actions that certain leaders take, but I, I, I do think that it's maybe I, I do think it's still just as foolish to be just a regular guy on the street going, you know, looking at the situation and going, I would have done that differently. I would have challenged him to a duel. <laughs> I would have seen him up on that stage and I would have walked up to him and I would have slapped him and I would have gone, get my wife's name out your damn mouth. <laughs> like, welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. yeah. It ain't like, like that, though. I, yeah, I just think, you know, for, for your average person to, to look at that and just assume that there's some sort of great strategist or, you know, some political genius who, who sees or knows something that, you know, uh, people that have way more information and resources at their disposal to, to have you, Joe Schmo, sitting in your, uh, you know sitting on your rocker wherever uh uh trying to you know talk about how much differently you would have done things yeah it's humble yourself man humble yourself (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's talk a little bit about the comic itself uh i mean I, i i think we've said quite a bit about the subject of the biography but here's a a little bit of information about Daryl Cunningham, the creator of the comic. So I don't really know much about him other than the little short bio at the back of the book, but he is somebody who's created other nonfiction comics before. The one that's probably the most well-known is called Billionaires, The Lives of the Rich and Powerful. That one is about... I think Jeff Bezos and uh, Rupert Murdoch, uh, probably some other billionaires. I remember hearing about that book in the past, but I, I never actually read it. Now that I've read his Putin book, I think I might uh, go track that one down and give it a read at some point. Mm-hmm. But some of the other books that he's done are Science Tales or all. In the U.S., it's also known as How to Fake a Moon Landing. There's another one he did called Psychiatric Tales and another one called The Age of Selfishness. So I, I don't really know anything about those other ones other other than billionaires, but seems like they'd be pretty good reads if they're anything like this one. Mm. I know he's also a British creator, so he provides a different perspective than what you might maybe expect from an American comics creator, which I think is interesting because he he does take time to uh, in in his Putin book he does take time to call out what various world governments have done also uh, in regards to Putin, whether it was. Uh, 
ignoring him or or just even kind of letting him do what he did during times when perhaps something could have been said or or done mm-hmm. um as a as a cartoonist i think daryl cunningham's artwork is not his strong suit especially in terms of his drawing like the actual drawing style is what i'm saying yeah like I, yeah i don't i don't mean to be demeaning or anything but this isn't a book you read for the amazing artwork or yeah, anything you know like exactly i would say is like to be honest like the actual drawing is is not very good it, it's heavily photo referenced at times which makes sense because he wants to capture the likenesses of the of these real life people you know because there's there's a lot of real life people that that uh, are contained within these pages mm. but the thing that uh makes that makes this book stand out is just how it works as a comic because even though i wouldn't say he's a good artist purely based on his drawing style in this comic we do know that comic book art is more than just being able to draw amazing pictures right because yeah. the amazing feat here is that he was able to tell the story of Putin's rise in comic book form. He, so he really had to use his mind in order to decide what to display on the page and each image that he had to draw to illustrate his facts or to provide maximum impact for the reader. Right, right. And, and that's what we just call the skill of storytelling because comics yeah. is more than just being able to draw a really amazing or technically impressive picture yeah there's a way to to tell the story that sucks in your audience and yeah daryl cunningham clearly excelled at that it's not easy to distill an entire biography into such a compact yet coherent form Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even if even if at times some of these pages or panels are text heavy it they always work in conjunction with the images that he depicts each yeah. and every page, each and every panel, they all have specific information that that needs to be conveyed to the reader. And it is the combination of words and pictures that communicates that information. So mm-hmm. e- even though his individual drawings, if you just take them on their own, take them out of context, they might not be the most awe-inspiring pictures or even technically skillful. Comics are, are more than that, right? And I, yeah. I just think about what Scott McCloud said when he defined comics in understanding comics and also reinventing comics, which I recently uh, read. Um, but understanding comics is, is definitely a classic. And I, I read reinventing comics pretty recently. And he kind of touches on some of the same points that he makes in his first book. But how McCloud defines comics is juxtaposed pictorial and other images in deliberate sequence intended to convey information and or to produce an aesthetic response in the viewer. So based on this comic, based on Putin's Russia, the rise of a dictator, I would consider Daryl Cunningham a master of the craft of comics, Mm. specifically the craft of creating a biographical nonfiction comic. Even though his drawing style isn't the best, he still knows the best image to depict each moment he wants to guide the reader through. And he's able to communicate all of this information 
in a coherent way, presenting a narrative that really gives us a strong portrait and image of this infamous real life person. Hmm. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. Like I, if I had to be perfectly honest, I felt pretty much the same way, uh, you know, just in regards to his art, there's a, a sketchy quality to it. And if you look at just how the figures are drawn, I, I'd say the craft of how he actually draws people in and of itself isn't great, but it's like you said, it's, it's the pictures that he wanted to show in conjunction with the words that he put up. Right. And that combination of elements is what tells the story. And by putting those together, he, he was clearly able to tell an effective, more than effective, a meaningful story. Mm -hmm. And, and in spite of, you know, how aesthetically pleasing the art actually is or isn't, you know? Yeah. And he does use some varied styles within the comic. Sometimes he'll draw people in a pretty cartoonish way, you know, not they look kind of rubbery or they just kind of look like really simple figures that you'd see in the, in the Sunday funnies or something. And then sometimes he'll draw specific individuals and you could tell that he used photo reference. They just yeah. look like they're posed and the the likenesses are, are all there. And sometimes he just chooses to draw almost kind of like impressionistic stuff. Like there's, there are a couple of pages. Uh, I'm just flipping through it. I'm looking at like page 18 and, and nine, page 19. And he's depicting some scenes of uh, unrest in, in the Soviet Union and how people are, are panicking because they couldn't basically get enough food and, and other supplies that they needed for, for daily life. And just the, the way that he draws the people, um, there's a specific panel, the, the fifth panel on page 18, where he just draws a man uh, s struggling because he can't get a cigarette. And, you know, he's going into nicotine withdrawal or whatever. And hmm. it, it's just a gigantic head that's sort of shaped like, I don't know, uh, a potato. <laughs> and, and you know like the ears are are massive and his mouth is massive and you just see uh drops of sweat shooting out of his head it you know it, it it's funny that something a drawing like that fits comfortably on the same page as uh a realistic uh photorealistic picture of a real life politician you know mm -hmm. he he kind of like goes back and forth uh between different styles just based on the mood and and what he's trying to convey in in the narrative so i don't yeah i don't think it's that i don't think he's he sucks at drawing or anything i i think he probably is capable of drawing better pictures than what some of these panels are uh but i, I think he just had a a specific way of telling the story. I'd, I'd be interested to see how his other comics are, if they're mm -hmm. all pretty similar to this one, or or if he does different tricks 
or yeah. uses a different style in, in the others. And I'd even add that I've seen people who might technically be better artists, but, you know, they they don't have the craft of comic storytelling down uh, anywhere oh, near yeah. as strong as this, you know? So yeah. maybe it looks good in in the moment, but it's it's certainly not a comic that leaves me with anything with any sense of meaning or understanding for anything greater than itself once I'm yeah. done reading it, you know? Yeah. Um, that that you just described like every early nineties image comic. Yeah, totally, right? <laughs> maybe maybe I can tell myself that it's something that I can look at and maybe take apart and enjoy for for that, but yeah, exactly. Like this uh this comic might not have been you know quote unquote technically good looking but it's certainly more meaningful and more interesting than those comics yeah and and here's the thing a lot of indie comics and alternative comics or whatever you want to call them like stuff that you'd see from publishers like drawn and quarterly or, or fantagraphics i think a lot of that kind of art might not appeal to your typical marvel dc image kind of person like the people that go to the store on wednesday and and buy the latest releases and yeah. like that's all they read right yeah yeah so like this this kind of art or this kind of book probably won't appeal to those readers unless unless they actively want to seek out something different you know but yeah. i feel like for the maybe for the average person who who doesn't necessarily follow comics that closely or isn't a marvel or zombie or a dc fanatic you know i I think this has the appeal to to people that don't generally read comics it's still easy to follow there's nothing complex or confusing about the art um or the storytelling it's very very simple to read but it just deals with a lot of complicated things which in and of itself is kind of an amazing achievement you know just being able to tell a lengthy uh, biography without making it confusing like you i never felt like i was reading something and i was like wait who was this person again or who was that who was that politician like everything yeah. was easy to follow because just the way that he laid it out uh the way that cunningham laid out the the narrative and presented the story yeah yeah it's part of me wants to say that it's unfortunate to put it in these terms, but due to the subject matter and the style of it, it feels like the kind of comic that someone pretentious or someone that would go and consider themselves like an academic or something like that. It it feels like, it might be the kind of comic that is geared towards that kind of an audience, but really, I guess in my perfect world, I'd like to think that most people are more, I guess, curious and, uh, yeah, just more intellectually curious about that sort of thing where, 
just because something doesn't necessarily initially appeal to them, they'd still be willing to sit, you know, sit through it to see what they can gain from it outside of that Mm -hmm. without, you know, without looking like an elitist or without (laughs) looking pretentious or whatever, you know? Um, Sure, sure. But it's, it's just unfortunate that I, I feel like this could be the kind of book that, you know, might make, if it's lucky, it might make the rounds in like award circles, but I, I, there's a part of me that's doubtful it'll it it's the sort of thing that'll ever reach mainstream popularity. Yeah, it it might not reach mainstream popularity, but I I think I do think critics will appreciate this if they read it. Yeah. 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 Like like f- for you and me, like since we read every kind of comic, like we're not we're not the kind of people that thumb our noses at at the comics of, you know, from any other country or or anything like that like we'll read a wide variety of stuff we'll, i mean we read we read our superhero trash and schlocky <laughs> junk yeah and we read we read you know more intellectual comics from smaller publishers and i and i do know that some of the people that we follow on our instagram account and who follow us like i see stuff that they post and and there's a good amount of people that are similar to us too, you know, like they'll, they'll read oh, yeah, their superhero sure. stuff, their image stuff, and they'll, they'll read their fancy graphics and, and their undergrounds and, you know, old Robert Crumb or whatever yeah. it may be, you know, like it's, it's all about variety because there's, there's just great stuff. That's the beauty of comics everywhere. though. Yeah. Right? It's what we're celebrating on this podcast is the ability to tell all kinds of stories through the medium of comics, right? It's a celebration mm-hmm. of that medium. And we just want to show that sequ- sequential storytelling in comics can communicate so much. And, you know, I, I get it. It's in fashion right now to to be a fan of Spider-Man and Batman. But, you know, like, I don't want... I don't want the perception of comics to be limited to those to that even though as much as i love that stuff like i i really want people you know the people that call themselves fans of comics i really want them to reevaluate that and look at that with a critical eye and and really think about what that means and ask yourself some some people should just call themselves some people should just call themselves superhero fans exactly (laughs) right it'd be more honest yeah, exactly. Like, if you're a fan of comics, then you should be a fan of the medium of comics in all of its forms and in all of its ability to tell all kinds of stories. And what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Appreciate it, brother. Right. Right. Actually, there's also... I just thought of something, but uh, I think his... Uh, Cunningham's art style because it's kind of simplistic and because it's photo referenced and it's not flashy or anything i guess it does really fit the tone of the book too because he writes about like some of the uh stories that are depicted here they're pretty heavy stuff you know like there's there's a couple uh like as he recounts things that happened under putin's time 
as the president of Russia. Like he covers, uh, Cunningham covers some major events, including like terrorist attacks and in Russia and uh, political rivals and journalists who were assassinated or had attempts made on their lives. So it does kind of feel like the the simplicity of the art. It's it's a little bit more dignified mm. to to depict these kind of things. It's it's not it's not sensationalized, you know. Like if I think if if somebody wanted to draw this stuff in a flashy way, they they totally could. But it's it would there would just be something distasteful about yeah, trying to yeah. make a, a hostage situation look exciting, right? Like yeah, there, there's a whole sequence of pages, several pages about the the time in in 2002 when these terrorists held uh, a, a theater in moscow hostage and and uh i think just, let me see 912 people were taken hostage in that theater you know that like that's a lot of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and like the way that cunningham draws the scene like yeah there's definitely something chilling about it but it doesn't feel like he's trying to make it uh, exciting or, or yeah. titillate you with with violence because this is yeah. a real thing that happened. You know where it's these... not a moment where you're supposed to look at it and go, "Wasn't that cool?" Yeah, look exactly. at all these explosions and like all these cool weapons. Like it's not really the point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like the the whole point of it is is just. Like number one, like the seriousness or the gravity of the situation, and yeah. how these these terrorists. Uh, first of all, I mean, they it was at least like forty armed Chechen fighters going st- straight into a theater in Moscow, of all places. Like you would think that Moscow would be a little safer from from terrorists, but these guys came in with weapons and held this theater hostage and what ended up happening was the the russian response was to pump poison gas into the vents mm-hmm. so this this stuff was killing the terrorists but it was also killing the hostages too and yeah. then like once that gas took over they they waited 30 minutes and then the the special forces began a physical assault and uh it was just a reckless disregard for human life because yeah yeah correct me if i'm wrong but was this the moment where they just kind of went in guns blazing and you know weren't there like explosions from the outside as well as they tried to like break into the 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 structure uh i think you're thinking about the other major terrorist attack that happened around this time too like there was the other incident which was in let me see 2004 in, in the city of Beslan. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm probably not pronouncing it properly, but mm. uh, there is a city where uh, it was the first day of school, and I guess in Russia, like there's the first day of school is like a, a special day where the kids go to school with, with flowers and special. They dress up nice, and their parents and guardians uh, go with them. So it's like yeah. a like a festival day or something. Yeah. And again, these armed terrorists seized the school. They they took about 1,100 people hostage, 
Yeah. And killed several people at the beginning of the attack and and then herded everybody into uh into like a, a gymnasium or something and some of the terrorists had bombs strapped to their bodies. They planted bombs in different uh in different rooms. And from what I remember the number of like actual terrorists was like it was a small amount, wasn't it? Something yeah. like under ten. I what? think it was more. It, it was probably a couple dozen. Okay, I, okay. I'm not. I'd have to look uh, look it up to see exactly how many. But yeah, like that. That was the incident where uh, after several days, or I think it was maybe only maybe three days. Uh, the the uh, Russians most likely caused uh, or fired. A, a rocket at the school building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they they deny it, but I think uh, other independent weapons experts who were able to survey the scene or research into it, um, their investigation found that uh, the explosion could have only been caused by rockets fired from outside the school. Yeah. So that most likely the special Russian special forces fired RPGs into the school school building while uh, the hostage negotiator was talking to to the terrorists. So, you know, like that. Even just describing it, it it's it's uh, hard to believe that that was the course of action that. Yeah. They decided. Yeah. You know, like to to think that the the best way to rescue a bunch of hostages was to fire an rpg at the at the building where yeah. the hostages were being kept yeah even though we were describing two different incidents I, I think the i think it's still clear that it just showed this massive disregard for the people that they were trying to save in both instances like yeah with the gas maybe you could tell yourself that the the hopes that they had that everyone would get knocked out from this gas. But but and that's the thing though. It's like that, that gas didn't work that fast. And, and even in that situation, that specific situation, the people in the theater knew that gas, that poison was being pumped in, you know, because there was even uh, a woman who was a reporter for, for a, a news agency in Russia. She was one of the hostages and I guess she still had her phone. Like, when the gas started coming in, she actually uh, said in a live broadcast interview, she was like begging them to to give the people a chance because she knew that they, well, she said, uh, and I quote, we see it, we feel it, we are breathing through our clothes. It began from outside. That's what our government has decided that no one should leave here alive. Yeah. You know, so like. It's, it's just incompetent and just a reckless disregard for human life. Yeah, yeah, you know? it, it's. I and, get and who, it. Who is to say that if the gas started pump, getting pumped in, and the terrorists recognized that the gas was flowing in, why wouldn't yeah. they just fire on the hostages at that point? You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, it's it's a bad move, you know. And I know I said earlier that you know Monday morning quarterbacking is is a tough thing to. And I kind of thumbed my nose at people who who do that. But in this case, I do think this is one of the situations where 
they took the wrong course of action. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 it was that, just a horrible tragedy. To, that's pretty hard to justify. Yeah. And and he, and like the, the the thing is is that these instances these incidents are recorded in this biography because both of them essentially helped boost Putin's popularity. He he kind of he basically used these tragedies to to kind of consolidate his popularity and his yeah. power. Uh, he won re-election uh, by a wide margin in 2004 after the theater incident, and also because of uh, what was happening, um, he was Russia ended up ramping up their military action. Uh, in Chechnya as well because of the, yeah. the terrorists. Yeah. The other thing about it that they mentioned in the story was, uh, I believe in the first situation when the poison gas was going through, uh, like while all this was going down, Putin was riding jet skis and on vacation. Oh, I think that was a different incident, actually. Oh, was that? Oh, yeah. shoot. <laughs> that was... I'm sorry, there are just so many of these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was an, the incident where there was um, a Russian nuclear sub that sank. Oh, okay, okay. And there were there were survivors um, who were trapped you're in right, the You're right, you're right. Sub. And, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, but... And a bunch of them were, were trapped under the underwater... Uh, in this like empty compartment, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that 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 sub had a nuclear reactor, and the I I don't remember exactly where on the map it it sank. Um, let me see, I'm flipping through it right now. But but anyway, whatever wherever it was, um, there were other people that uh other countries that actually the international community wanted to help, but yeah, exactly the, the government. Yeah didn't want to accept their help exactly or, exactly I, I don't have any other way to put it except pride pretty much you know? pretty much yeah. they and, wouldn't they wouldn't accept it because they didn't want to admit that they needed help or the, from other countries yeah they, they waited 10 days before they finally allowed british and norwegian divers to dive after the sub mm -hmm. and by that point uh they they found no survivors so yeah. it, it's it's possible that those survivors could have been saved if if uh, the Russian Navy had allowed um, or accepted offers of help earlier. Yeah. But yeah, the. But yeah, while that was happening, uh, Putin was riding his jet ski. <laughs> yeah, he was on vacation. And and at the time, I think he caught some flack for it. But. He just had a very cavalier attitude about any uh, criticisms on it, from what I remember. Yeah, and that that's a pattern with him, too, because after these other incidents, he had some very uh, dismissive criticism for his critics. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's tantamount to just saying, you know, haters are going to hate, and I'm just going to do me, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you're right. I, I, there, time and time and uh, again, for uh, like, however Putin has organized it, or 
I guess if you're really going to play devil's advocate and call it a matter of circumstance, uh, he's been able to pull himself out of the fire and uh, use these as opportunities to <clears throat> bolster his own personal, uh, I guess, his own personal esteem amongst the Russian population by by making it look like, you know, he's this tough guy or he's this strong man that won't bend uh, or bow to like terrorist, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and but yeah, like in effect, just making the point that, see, that's how tough I am. I'm willing to sacrifice these people in order to not negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. And Which, and going back to the school hostage situation, that one that one was one of those incidents that I actually for whatever reason I I didn't remember it. It feels like I I can't believe I didn't remember it, um but uh reading it in this comic was definitely harrowing and it it did make me look up news articles about the incident too, so uh, like I guess Anytime I read an interesting biography about real events and nonfiction events, it, it does make me do additional, you know, internet research to to read more on different things. And and this school incident, um, over over 330 people died, including 186 children. And after after uh, the Russian forces fired that initial rocket at the building, uh, you know, a bunch of it, it was just chaos at that point, you know, yeah. like you had, you had children who were already pretty messed up from three days of being held hostage and, and being denied water, um, you know, just being mistreated and whatnot. You know, there people are trying to run. Uh, and it's thought that quite a few innocent people were killed in the crossfire when, when the Russian forces were firing at the terrorists because people were running out of the building, man. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, what ended up happening in the aftermath uh, of it? Uh, I'm just gonna read it from Daryl Cunningham's book, but he writes: Putin used the Beslan attack to further consolidate his power. Ten days after the siege, he announced that elections for regional governors would be abolished. Instead, governors would be appointed by the Kremlin. The president claimed that this move would strengthen the system against external threats. Putin stated that he believed that terrorists like the ones who committed the Beslan atrocity were aiming to cause the disintegration of the Russian state itself. And as a result, the state needed to strengthen itself to ward off further attacks. What do you think of that, Albert? I mean, it's like the stuff of, uh, uh, who is that, Clive Barker? Not Clive Barker. Uh, who who wrote Splinter Cell? Uh, Tom Clancy. Yeah, it's like the stuff of a Tom Clancy novel almost, right? <laughs> Where it just feels like such a brazen, like it's such a brazen. It's so power transparent, grab, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. And and this does you know th- these are all horrible tragedies, and I would. I would never say that I'm on the side of the terrorist on this or that they are absolved of their crimes for 
putting these people in these situations in the first place. Of course, they're awful. But what Putin did when the circumstances were in front of him and what he, he did. For his benefit. It, yeah, and what he did in the moments following uh, these tragedies, like, I can honestly say, like, that maybe. I, I can say that I can't read his mind, but just based on his actions alone, you can see that he did not have the best interest of his people at heart, you know? It, he it's not about that. Yeah, exactly. It's all about himself. Yeah. It was about himself. It was about consolidating his power and making sure that the 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 people in these regional areas uh, were governed by his cronies, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, how could you look at that any other way? There isn't. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there were a lot of moments or a lot of things in this, uh, graphic novel, uh, that just pointed to, again, just a lot of moments that I had heard about over the past couple of years, uh, just pretty audacious acts on his part. And I think there are a lot of people that could say that there's, some level of plausible deniability again you know like you were saying earlier things where it was like maybe you can't prove a hundred percent that putin ordered this but he certainly benefited from it and it's hard to Mm -hmm. imagine anybody else that would have wanted something like that right so Mm -hmm. one of the examples that i can think of is uh there are several examples of journalists just being murdered by yep. by Putin, right? Um mm-hmm. I forget the name. Uh there there was one guy who was shot right in front of the Kremlin and I think it happened on like Putin's birthday or or if not on his birthday, like the day before his birthday. You know? Like I, I think I forget who the person who was shot in front of the Kremlin was, but uh-huh. there was a journalist, uh, a woman named Anna Politkovskaya. She was yeah. someone who had written critical things about Putin and the Russian yeah. government for many years. She even uh, published a book in the West. I uh, can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Yeah. But she wrote something or she was she was doing some kind of reporting or investigation after the school terrorist attack. And uh, she was actually poisoned while she was on a on a plane. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then she she managed to survive that poisoning, but two years later, she was shot dead in the elevator of her apartment building in Moscow, and she was shot twice in the chest, once in the shoulder, and once in the head, at mm. point blank range. And the day that she was killed, that was Putin's birthday. All oh, right, right. That was um, I think there was also an ex KGB uh agent who was also poisoned, right? Yeah, so like there was a guy named uh let me see Litvinenko? Alexander Litvinenko. Yeah. 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 So he he was a former uh agent of the FSB. Yeah. Um which is, FSB is what the what KGB, KGB became. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he he had written uh a book about Russia um and he was also investigating the death of Anna Politkovskaya, 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this was about three weeks later, and he was he was meeting with some people who yeah. purportedly were going to give him some information about her murder. But th- this is the crazy thing. Yeah. They they met at a restaurant, and these two guys that he met poisoned him by placing polonium. Yeah. Into the teapot. Yeah. And th- this is a story I remember because it's it's like something out of a again like a Tom Clancy thing because it's mm-hmm. such a radioactive isotope. Yeah. That in the investigation of what happened, they were able to trace the radioactivity to the point where they could figure out where every person was sitting, where everybody went. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and here's the other thing about polonium that for people who who want to talk about plausible deniability. Like pl- uh, plano- what, what, how's polonium, what how's it Polonium is like, from what I remember, it's it's a chemical or or an agent. I don't know what the proper term is, but it's a substance that is so hard to come by that the only way that they could get it is from the Russian government. You know? Yeah, exactly. So so you know it. It's almost a smoking gun in and of itself that whoever provided them with it had to come from within the ranks of Putin's own government. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's almost undeniable at that point. Yeah, yeah. And th- this one, this guy's uh, assassination was pretty powerful. The scene in 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 the book because uh, yeah. Litvinenko he. He succumbs to the poisoning, and it takes him several days uh, in the hospital before he he dies. But a couple days before he slipped into a coma, he actually dictated a statement that he has to be released in the event of his death. And I'm just going to read it in in its entirety here because I I thought it was pretty pretty powerful. But this is what he said, kind of his, his final words. As I lie here, I sense the distinct presence of the angel of death. It is still possible I'll be able to evade him, but I fear my feet are no longer as fast as they used to be. I think the time has come to say a few words to the man responsible for my current condition. You may be able to force me to stay quiet, but this silence will come at a price to you. You have now proved that you are exactly the ruthless barbarian your harshest critics have made you out to be. You have demonstrated that you have no respect for human life, liberty, or other values of civilization. You have shown that you do not deserve to hold your post, and you do not deserve the trust of civilized people. You may be able to shut one man up, but the noise of protest all over the world will reverberate in your ears, Mr. Putin, to the end of your life. May God forgive you for what you have done, not only to me, but to my beloved Russia and her people. Hmm. that's some heavy stuff man it is it is it it also reminds me of um another like incident because it 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 just these murders just they fit in with the idea that we mentioned at the top of the podcast where the more that putin and his government were allowed to get away with this Instead of just quitting while they were ahead, they just got even more brazen in what they were doing as as time went on. Mm-hmm. Because in 2018, there was another 
poisoning from what I remember. And this one was something that happened in England. Uh, mm, forget, yeah, that's right. I forget if this was mentioned in the comic, but I, I have the Wikipedia article in front of me, but it was the poisoning of Sergei and Yulia Skripal. I'm probably not saying their last names right. That was mentioned in, in the comic. Yeah, and essentially, like, in short, what it was was on June 30th, uh, 2018, uh, the poisoning of two British nationals in Amsbury, seven miles north of Salisbury, involved the same nerve agent. A man found a perfume bottle later discovered to contain the agent in a litter bin somewhere in Salisbury and gave mm-hmm. it to a woman who sprayed it on her wrist. Uh, yeah, that, that's some crazy stuff. That's another thing I remember. It's just chilling to to know that there is a nerve agent that people can just spray on a surface, and then when you touch it, it'll yeah. mess you yeah. up if not kill you. Right. Wait, here, here. Uh, it says, uh, on, on March 4th, 2018, Sergei Skripal, a former Russian military officer and double agent for the British intelligence agencies, and his daughter, Yulia Skripal, were poisoned in the city of Salisbury, England. According to the UK sources of the Organization of the Prohibit, uh, Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, they were poisoned by names of a Novichok nerve agent. Both Sergei and Yulia Skirpel spent several weeks in hospital in critical condition before being discharged. But I remember this happening, uh, or or this on the news when it did happen, because... They sprayed it, was, it on the doorknob of their home. Yeah. And when they, when they touched the doorknob, they fell into critical condition yeah yeah but it's just crazy because this wasn't even on russian soil they went into another country and they did this yeah and then the the two guys that um that were responsible for the you know the actual spraying of the of the nerve agent like they were caught on on uh camera yeah they ended up getting caught yeah yeah it's but yeah i mean it just goes along with the the pattern of behavior this trend that the more that he got away with the more emboldened that he got to just push it yeah. even further you know yeah to go to the uk and, and do something like that so yeah. yeah that's yeah it's like you said he's just been emboldened yeah. it's like when a kid realizes that his punishment isn't anything too severe or serious. He just keeps testing his parents to see how much he can get away with. And when you have some really lax parents, they just turn a blind eye to bad behavior. And this is just kind of similar, except it's, you know, a powerful, wealthy Russian thug who's yeah. leading the country. And, you know, he's, he can pretty much do whatever he wants, or at least it feels like he can. Yeah. He's not afraid of doing whatever he wants yeah it's yeah like just time and time again we just see these sort of things happen and i don't know like i want to go backwards a little bit but there there are some things that i did learn about putin just from from the beginning of the comic just just to kind of get an idea of how his how the inner workings of his mind operates, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I remember, like, he was a guy who really wanted to be in the KGB very yeah. early on in life. And, um, and 
I think he he tried very hard to get into it, and once he eventually got in, um, my understanding of it is that he he was just kind of a bureaucrat and just kind of a faceless, uh, uh, you know, a middle management mm-hmm. sort of guy. But I think his unassuming nature just allowed him to be in places where he could take advantage of his situations, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a story about how there was, I think, I think right on the period, right on the cusp of the era where the Soviet Union was about to fall, like, there was a large shipment of, like, foodstuffs. Yeah, meat, meat that was supposed yeah. to be sent, right? That, mm-hmm. Well, actually, I don't remember... Do you have it in front of you? Like, did that happen just as the Soviet Union was about to fall, or was that when Yeltsin was president? Let me see. Yeah, it looks like that was right after the Soviet Union fell. Yeah. Yeah. So from that period of time, like, you know, things were understandably in chaos, but international, I guess, business was coming in, and they were trying to send imports of meat into the country. But this meat just up and mysteriously disappeared, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, who was in charge of that? Who else but but our boy Putin here? You know? <laughs> yep. And it's, again, just establishes this pattern of behavior as this guy who, you know, very early on was a crook and just, again, used his unassuming... Uh, a, a role and his position to to move himself into better positions. Um, I think at at one point, Bor- when uh, Boris Yeltsin becomes president, one of the reasons that uh, Putin ends up being his vice president is because he's so unassuming compared to all of the other people that wanted to be his vice president. You know, mm-hmm. and there was this anecdote about how Bill Clinton met went, met and talked with Putin, uh, you know, uh, while they were having a, a a meeting. And in after that meeting, he goes to Yeltsin and and tells him this man does not have democracy in his heart. And years later, when Yeltsin was on his deathbed, uh, you know. There's there was an anecdote about him telling someone close to him that he fears that putting Putin in power was a huge mistake on his part, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Speaking of uh, Putin's shady dealings to steal or embezzle money, I was there was a thing in this book that uh, mentioned it's theorized that Putin has like $200 billion or something like is basically the the richest or wealthiest person on earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he, you know, it, it's another thing where he's, he's just living a life in luxury with more wealth than, than he can possibly do anything with yeah. while people in his own country are living hard lives, man. And, and yeah. starving and whatnot. It's like, it really is all just about him. Yeah. Yeah. I 
I remember hearing some analysts talk about that where the way they, they described it was it if it wasn't him, it would almost be like a weird Twilight Zone-esque tragedy in the sense that he's established himself at the nerve center of this entire crooked scheme to the point where it's almost integral that he remains in power because the second that he isn't is the second that they peel away the layers and they find out what all the financial misdealings are going on, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's he's almost trapped in this position because <laughs> otherwise they'll, you know, theoretically, they'll string him up if they ever find out. Theoretically, anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's all theory. Yeah, I'd like to believe that that's the case, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I, history is full of people that it's full of people that get their comeuppance, but it's also full of people that don't. So, yeah, yeah. Did you learn anything else, or were there any uh, other notable incidents that jumped out at you about him, or or things that you learned? Hmm. I think most of the stuff that I learned that really stood out was the stuff that we've already mentioned. Uh, this this isn't really too important in the grand scheme of things, but yeah, I, I had it down in my notes, and and it was just something that that uh <laughs> that made the reading experience kind of memorable. But uh, first of all, just to talk a little bit. Uh, about the coloring of the book i mean we talked about the art generally earlier but uh the coloring is kind of minimalistic it's a lot of flat colors usually it's just colors for the the backgrounds and and different objects and the mood a lot of times his his drawing is just uh like the figures might be in black and white but they might have like a a red tie or, or something like that but for the most part, the coloring is it's fairly uh, muted, I would say. And I, I think it, it lends a tone of uh, gravitas to the book because of because of that palette. However, uh, towards towards the end of the book, when we start getting closer to recent history, we see Donald Trump and the way that he colored Trump. Trump is the same shade of orange that Shang-Chi was in those old Master of Kung Fu comics. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh. Right. That is pretty funny. Did you notice that too? <laughs> it's a very bright color that doesn't seem to occur in nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I saw that, I was like, that's Master of Kung Fu right there, man. <laughs> it, I, I was laughing pretty hard. Deadly hands. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the one note that I'd want to make, you know, before we close up, is I just want to discuss the idea of uh, of uh, of this as a, I guess, a journalistic comic. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I feel that needs to be addressed is the idea that. I guess everything that's written does come from uh, a certain perspective 
where one could argue that it's a form of bias uh and maybe it's hard to take in this information with when you when when you look at it through that lens because because there's a feel or there's an impulse to look at it as though that that the information isn't coming from a purely truthful or authentic place because what is their reason for writing this or for saying the things that they're saying right um i think that sort of attitude is more pervasive now more than ever and i acknowledge i acknowledge very much that bias is a thing that exists but i also acknowledge that nothing really exists in a vacuum either right because whatever information we relate to each other like whether we intend it to or not uh there are certain things certain bits of information that jump out to us more than others and we tend to communicate those informations because those are the things that we prioritize or those are the things that mean something to us so not all bias is uh a form of manipulation you know so yeah. th there are certain biases that are you know, if i was talking about a government that was you know uh that that systematically committed terrible acts against uh their own people my bias isn't necessarily towards them because my stake in this government makes it so that it's more important for me to see them fail than it is for me to care about the people that they are harming, right? Right. Like maybe those things just happen to align themselves and and maybe that's why uh, I can point to something like uh their war crimes as uh as a convenient uh moralistic cudgel that I can use against them. But at the end of the day there are just certain bits of information that are undeniably reality you know mm -hmm. and and you know regardless of what someone's opinion of putin the man is or the government or, or the government of russia and how it operates um i think there are there's more than enough history now that has occurred where we can look at those items uh in the rearview mirror and i think it's fair to say that based on what we have observed that we can have an honest uh measure of the man of mm -hmm. of the man of putin you know and and i think there's nothing again like i i hate that sometimes this is what the conversation has like devolved to but um you know like in a perfect world i wouldn't want i i there's no reason for me to root against putin if he didn't have things that were just so awful about him that were worth rooting against you know yeah 
Yeah. Right. So I I don't think I personally don't would not want to be in a position where being presented with certain bits of information that are contrary to what my personal beliefs are. I just wouldn't want to be in a position where I just look at it and my personal opinion would be to say, um, you know, if I can't tell who's telling the truth, then the most convenient thing that I can tell myself is nobody is telling the truth. And therefore, I am agnostic on the subject, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and that's not a wise way to live life. You'll never know what to believe if you have no sense of reality like that. Yeah, there are just certain things that we, again, that are undeniable and that we have to accept. And choosing not to acknowledge them doesn't do anything good for us, you know? Like... It, it it just harms us more. What we're seeing going on in, in Ukraine right now, like maybe there are countering narratives that are going on, but I'm confident that there is a certain narrative that is at least more accurate than the other narrative. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, nowadays, a lot of people point out things like the news is biased one way or the other. People say things like, I just want the news to present me with the facts, right? But people are being killed. Those are the facts. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, what do you want from that? Like, what? how could that be more factual? And if, if, if your answer to that is, well, I don't know who's killing them, or you can't prove to me that they are who are, they are the ones being killed. If your only answer is like, well, I have to be there and I have to see this happening in order for this to register in my mind as absolute truth. Like, I I don't know what to do with that, man. <laughs> like, I, you might as well be telling me that you might as well be telling me that you believe that the Earth is flat unless you are <laughs> literally sitting on a rocket ship floating above the Earth, seeing that the Earth is round. <laughs> Like, I, I don't know what to do with that, man. I really don't. There's not too much you can do, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've even heard reports from uh, earlier this week. I forget the name of the city in Ukraine, but they were showing, like, on camera, they were showing, you know, bodies Bucha. of civilians that were I think Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah. There were bodies of of civilians who were, you know, there bound were up in graves. Yeah, they were bound up and just, you know, shot execution, execution style. style. Yeah. And uh, still, there are the counter narrative the is that yeah. those bodies were put there after the fact as exactly. a means of making them look bad. To make Russia look bad, exactly. Yeah. And and that's. I feel like if you're gonna believe that, it, it's just. I mean, you like, can what? essentially tell yourself anything to make yourself not believe what you don't want to believe at that point. Yeah, because I think the only people who are pushing that narrative are either the Russian state media, 
which obviously is is run by Russia, so they want you to buy their pop- propaganda, or it's being pushed by alt-right American politicians who, for whatever reason, have some somehow aligned themselves with Putin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's these bodies didn't come from nowhere. Like, and it's like if you were ask me if you were to ask me to believe what's more likely that an invading army is committing war crimes or that upon their exit from an occupied territory the returning ruling government has decided to make you look bad by falsifying hundreds of corpses and uh yeah like i i can't even finish the 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 scenario without like throwing my hands up man it's just it's absurd you know yeah but but all that to say that you know um daryl cunningham wrote putin's russia and Maybe not everything is 100% correct, or maybe there are certain things that filtered through a certain lens might mean something different. But I think overall, you can be confident that most of what he has to say is a pretty accurate telling of history, you know? I agree. And here's another thing. He also includes a massive bibliography of the sources that he consulted in producing this comic. So yeah. if you're a history buff or if you're a fact checker, you can check out all the sources that he cites. You know, like there's several books that he listed and like just tons and tons of, of news articles and websites online that you can read through in order to do your own research. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I guess it's just another one of those things where maybe maybe you can make the argument that uh, the the news sites or the books that he used as research were all slanted a certain way too. But then, yeah. like, I guess I gotta ask you, where are you gonna find books that are slanted the other way? You know? Yeah. Like other than yeah. other than Russian propaganda, like what? Yeah. Or or like the the alt right kooky people who are supporting putin you know like yeah it's, it's like not really once you veer off main the mainstream sources if you're gonna rely on questionable journalism that isn't really journalism but just misinformation like that or just reaffirming of what yeah what you personally want to believe yeah <laughs> or would or what you would prefer to believe like again like bias is always going to exist on some form like in in some degree right that's just mm-hmm. that's just how information is you know like even when i relay a certain anecdote or a story to someone like i might not have a stake in it but my telling of it comes from a perspective my perspective Mm-hmm. And it's biased towards that perspective. Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge that, but it's not it's it's not me trying to manipulate a person. 
yeah. it's me focusing on the things that I feel are important in this conversation. Yeah. Everybody yeah. has some level of bias. It, it's unrealistic to say yeah. that there is no bias in anything and that you only want unbiased information. Yeah. It, it just feels like in recent years, we've taken the idea of bias and it, and it feels like we have to have this 100% rate of lack of bias as if that was such a thing, you know? Yeah, because maybe it, in like math or something, but there's just a lot of other things in life. That's not that, how bias works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it's like a complete misunderstanding of the idea or the concept of what bias is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and it's it's just it, it's it's such faulty logic that it just it drags down so many other things with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like you said, it it it's just it yeah, man, it just opens the door for yourself to just chase a bunch of rabbit holes just just to to just faulty logic, man. It's it's ugh. It's rough. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of of bias, I I do want to talk about the ending of the comic because these last couple pages I thought were pretty meaningful to me. And these are two pages that also I think are personal to Daryl Cunningham. Like it's, this is him. Like it's, he's done telling us the story and the history, the biography of Putin and Putin's Russia and all the atrocities uh, that have occurred. And now at the very end of, is telling us he's giving us uh, basically like a kind of a, a rebuke and a bit of a warning and just a, a challenge as well. And um, it, this is a kind of a long section, but I think it's it's worth reading. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it. Um, so here it is. It says. The world needs to stop pretending that Putin's regime is a normal state. Putin and his criminal cronies are deserving of the most crushing sanctions and political isolation for all their human rights crimes, assassinations, cyber attacks, attacks on Western countries, disinformation campaigns, and the illegal annexation of Ukraine. Russia today is a white identity society that crushes opposition, wraps itself in nostalgia, runs rigged elections that provide a veneer of democracy without the risk and allows the wealthy and powerful brutal control. Western politicians who make excuses for Putin or refuse to see his criminal behavior are at best naive and at worst complicit in that criminality. Putin should be called out for who he is. He should not be considered an internationally respected leader but a murderous KGB mafia boss with an assassination squad and a chemical weapons lab. And then at the bottom of this first page, there's a picture of Gary Kasparov, Russian chess grandmaster and political commentator. And his quote is, dictators don't ask why, they ask why not. Engaging or ignoring them has only encouraged them to attack. Standing up to authoritarians is the only way to protect democracy at home and abroad and now the the final page 
and it's it's got an illustration of Putin holding a miniature version of planet Earth. And here's what the text says, the prose. Cunningham writes, Putin empowers thugs around the world by offering them support. His success encourages others to roll back freedoms in their own countries. Without Putin, they would be far more likely to fall and therefore more worried about repercussions for brutality. Punishing Putin helps promote democracy. Murder and corruption should be punished, never rewarded. Either we support democracy, freedom of speech, and the rule of law everywhere, or we will see these values wither away. Do nothing, and Putin will strengthen his grip on our world. Take action, and we will both encourage the sterns of democracy in Russia and stop his regime spreading corruption to other countries, including our own. It's a simple choice. Democracy or dictatorship? The choice is up to us. And I can't think of a more fitting ending to the book than something like that. Yeah, it's a powerful ending. Yeah. There's not too much else that we can say after that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good way to end it. Um, I don't really have any other final thoughts. How about you, Drew? No final thoughts. Uh, next week in our next episode, we will continue our read-through of Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin. We'll be on Volume 4. And uh, yeah, reading that manga, I guess we can find some escapism from the harshness of <laughs> reality by reading about fictional fascists. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I, I guess I have one quick question but uh can you think of any books that you would recommend that would be you know as informative or as interesting or or of a similar mind as this oh wow i i forgot to think about that before we started recording yeah uh the first one that came to mind for me was there was this one book called Tiananmen uh oh yeah that's a great one what year was that it it i'm looking for it right now 1989 oh shoot yes Tiananmen 1989 our shattered hopes and uh it's another historical comic but i haven't read it yet but i did end up buying it for relatively cheap i remember seeing it at the library and being interested in it because uh, the subject matter was always something of uh, of interest to me uh, about the Tiananmen massacre that occurred in 1989 when uh, students were rising up against the, the government, the communist government of China, you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're interested in historical narratives, uh, I imagine that that would be. Something similar. I know you read it, right, Drew? Yeah. Who's the creator of the comic? I forget. Lun Zhang, Jang, and uh, Adrian Gambud. Gambud? Gambud? I, I don't know how to pronounce it. French, right, I think? I imagine so. Yeah, I then, I did borrow that. Oh, sorry. I could, yeah. Oh, there's one more person on this. Amazian? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did read that comic from the library several months ago. And I 
really, really appreciated it. It was another one of those books that was, like you said, his- historical and um, it tells the, the the story of that period in in history from a per- the perspective of somebody who was who lived through it and was part of those events. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. And you, you found a, a really good deal on a great piece of work. And f- yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I posted about it in our Instagram feed several months ago. And I don't know if uh, anybody here pays attention to the hashtags that we use on our feed, but when we use the hashtag Athenaeum Assessments, <laughs> that, that's the hashtag we use for our library book reviews. So if, if you click through that, you can find somewhere uh, my short little review of that book. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Any other recommendations? Unfortunately, I can't think of anything at the moment. I probably should have thought of it uh, before it's all good. we were it's all recorded, good. but it totally slipped my mind. I'm sure <laughs> after we finish recording tomorrow morning, I'll wake up and be like, oh, man, I did not <laughs> think of that one. It's so obvious. It's on a bookshelf. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's just part of our creative process. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's that's how we podcast at Between the Gutters. It's, it's, it's all about... It's, it's all stream of consciousness. <laughs> half of the story is what you listen to on the recording, and the other half is the stuff that only exists in our imaginations. <laughs> so if you want to meet us halfway, you, you have to imagine that you're listening to the greatest podcast <laughs> of all time, the most informative intellectual and entertaining <laughs> podcast that could possibly ever exist and that's us i don't think that's too much to ask no yeah i don't think so either so if you have any uh questions or comments about the putin comic that we talked about this week feel free to hit us up on instagram at between the gutters or if you want to email us at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com we're right there too feel free to rate our episode and share and subscribe if you haven't already we'd really appreciate that Mm -hmm. this week's book was putin's russia the rise of a dictator by daryl cunningham published by drawn and quarterly highly recommend it thanks for listening everybody we'll catch you next time peace out bye guys Albert? Yo. How was WonderCon? WonderCon was, uh, it was interesting, man. It was interesting. Uh, It was the first con back where I really felt like things were back to normal. Um, I was working at my friend's booth uh, at Beefy Poo. Uh, He sells t-shirts and plushes and other merchandise. And I would say that the business was slower than usual, but in terms of just uh, the number of people that went to WonderCon, it felt it felt pretty normal, you know, like pre-COVID times. And uh, and the thing about that is when you're in a situation that 
when you're at a convention and it's like pre-COVID times, that just means that you're going to run into <laughs> quite a few characters. And I met, I met quite a few this time around, if I had to say, you know. Um, let's see. So first of all, I there was this one incident where I was just kind of digging through comics and... Uh, and there was this guy there. I'm not really going to – I was at this one booth, and the guy that was running the booth, I'm not going to really go over what he was talking about, except suffice it to say that he gave me enough of an indicator of what he believed in order for me to know the measure of him as a man. Mm -hmm. uh, he struck me as the kind of guy who would use the term woke as a pejorative, you know, even though mm -hmm. no one really uses that word anymore, except for the kind of people that really want to just make a point about other people who mm -hmm. who are woke, uh, you know. Even though I'm pretty sure no one really uses that term anymore. Right. But uh, you know, we all know the, that kind of guy, right? Yeah. And uh, and I I wouldn't have really thought too much about him, uh, except you know, just as a dude that i would have just rolled my eyes about because i was there i was digging through comics and he was uh, having a conversation with this other guy and it, i i guess it was a bit of a debate because his general point was i don't really care about any of that stuff i just all i care about is if it has a good story but he he's the kind of guy where if he had said that then if if he really truly cared about just whether a story was good or not, then what difference does it make if minorities are in it you know, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, if you really believed that all you care about is good stories, then what difference does it make if, like, the lead is, you know, not uh, a, a straight white man, right? <laughs> I like how you started off this story by saying, you weren't really going to get too deep into what he was talking about. And by the end of this story, I I just fully believe that this dude was a straight up racist. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, again, like, I, I heard enough of the guy's conversation where I just rolled my eyes at the thought of this guy. Like, he, he was kind of that much of a nothing to me. But, but the part of it that really got my goat was as I was looking at his booth and I was walking around, I was looking at the kind of stuff that he was selling and the stuff that he was holding in high value. And that stuff combined with his attitude just disgusted me to no avail, you know? What was so, he selling? Uh, I, I walked by and there was a, there's a, there was this, there were bundles of comics completed series that uh he he bundled together single issues that he found an entire run of he bundled them together and he was selling them as as uh as sets. chunks as sets uh -huh. so first of all there was zero spelled x-e-r-o it's a comic by christopher priest i forget who the artist is i want to say crisscross dc comics oh yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah it's D you're like, D mid-90s late 90s maybe yeah it's not something that's super well known uh christopher priest is well known but the the book itself is lesser known fare for sure right 
Yeah, that's actually a series that I've been collecting. I have most of it that I found in quarter bins. It might it might only have been around a 12-issue series, and I think well, I'm still missing like two or three issues. Well, here's your lucky day, Drew, because it is 12 issues, and this guy was selling all 12 issues for $125. <laughs> that's right. You could have it all for $125, Drew. Uh, I'm good off that. <laughs> you found what, like the first nine issues for like a quarter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, for $125, you could have all of it. <laughs> there must be something extremely valuable about that 11th issue. Uh, I would prefer to say there's something extremely stupid about the kind of person <laughs> that would sell that for $125. But that it's, wasn't it. It's not it. the fact that he's a racist that bugs me. It's the fact that he's stupid <laughs> about comics. There are tons of racists, but... It takes a truly exceptional idiot to try to sell me garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing is, is that comic is about a black man who pretends to be a white man. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if that guy knew that, <laughs> or if he just like looked at the cover and saw a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy had so much other junk that he was trying to sell too, man. It was just awful. Um, next to it, he had, and I don't remember how many issues this was, but this was, it was, uh, the, the sticker uh, promoted it as the complete series, but it was all of Guy Gardner, Warrior, <laughs> for $100. Man. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know comics, uh, Guy Gardner was another Green Lantern, and for a long time in like the 80s and 90s, or no, in the 90s, I think they didn't really know what to do with him because they didn't want to just have another Green Lantern. So they really wanted to try to find ways to change him as a character so that he was different from the other Green Lanterns. Mm -hmm. So they turned him into like an alien living weapon, which was truly awful. <laughs> Yeah, he, he just got super buff, and he walked around with no shirt, right? Yeah, and I think his hands could change into weapons. Like, yeah. they became, like, laser cannon hands. Reminds me of that character, Random, from Marvel Comics. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty lame. stupid. It was really stupid. Yeah. And this guy was selling it for 100 bucks. The well, entire run. <laughs> there's a part of me that wants to... I don't want necessarily want to meet the person, but I kind of want to see the person who would spend that money on that run. I want him to be placed in a zoo so that I can <laughs> throw peanut shells at him. I just want to gawk at people like that. Yeah. I want to slap my thigh as I go, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and here, here's the piece of resistance of this guy's cavalcade of crap. Okay, okay. He had... Three versions of Venom, Lethal Protector number one, red foil cover, in varying CGC grades <laughs> for anywhere between a hundred to hundred twenty-five bucks each. And like he placed he placed these on a special pedestal so that people walking by would see them. He literally and placed them on a pedestal? It wasn't it wasn't okay, it wasn't a pedestal, it was like a display. Okay, okay. So it, it was set aside from the rest of the stuff. 
Yeah. Did anyone you... buy those over the, over the course of the weekend? I think someone did. I oh, think someone man. did. Well, I do have a story about that too. Okay. So, okay. At one point, I remember a dude was walking away from from this guy's booth, and uh, I just took took a casual glance, but the dude was pretty. He seemed pretty self satisfied with himself. And I looked at the comic in his hand, and I recognized the cover. It was Extreme X Men by Chris Claremont, and this was this wasn't even Claremont at his peak or at his height. This was this was a, a Claremont comic in the years when he came back, when Marvel was like trying to sell uh, the fans on the idea that the comics legend is coming back, and he came back, and he was immediately just. It just it was just recognized that what he was bringing back was not good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was early two thousands. Yeah. Salvador was, La Roca, right? I think so. Yeah. It was a uh, it was a bad comic. Yeah, I remember reading some of those when I was getting back into comics early on in college. I was reading New X Men. Uh huh. And. I picked up Extreme X-Men and Uncanny X-Men. And at the time, uh, Extreme X-Men was obviously Claremont, as you said. And then yeah. Uncanny X-Men was Chuck Austin. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Oof. Dude, these Oof. books are so bad compared to New X-Men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I remember trying to read some of those. And I, 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 got, I got hooked on it because of their selling points where they were like, this is the guy that wrote you know, all of the classic X-Men stories. You wrote Days of Future Past, the Dark Phoenix Dark Saga. Phoenix saga. The yeah. Proteus Saga. All of that. The Demon that Bear Saga. <laughs> the Muir Island Saga. Everything he writes is a saga. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The Jim Lee Saga. <laughs> Asgardian Wars Saga. <laughs> Uh, so bad, so bad. But I, yeah, I, I remember they were they were really promoting it, and so I was like, okay, this guy wrote some of the best, you know, some of the most well known, well regarded X Men stories we had ever read in our or uh, in our childhood, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, so this has got to be good. So I read it, and it it was the sort of thing that made me reevaluate the stuff that I had read in the past. <laughs> It made me rethink him, rethink uh, his entire body of work. Yeah, that's that's pretty harsh. When you read something that's so bad, it makes you rethink everything else that the guy has done. Yeah. 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 It it was the moment that the wool was pulled from my eyes, and I saw him for what he was. So when you saw the guy who bought that comic, was it the first issue, or was it a CGC issue, or? It was the first issue. I don't think it was CGC, but. Again, this guy was pretty pleased to have it. Like, when and you say he was pretty pleased, how would you describe him? Was he just smiling, or was he, like, jumping for joy, talking about he was, it? He was walking away pretty fast from the table, and he was smiling. He had a pretty big smile on his face. Like, it almost felt like... It almost felt like his attitude was, I just got a deal on this, and I better, like, walk away before they realize what I got away with. <laughs> Oh man. That's I how, wonder how much you paid how for much, it. That's how much Pep was in his step. I feel like we've seen Extreme X-Men number 1 in quarter bins before. Well, 
okay, let me tell you this about this guy's booth. It was definitely not a quarter bin booth. It wasn't a dollar bin booth. It was definitely sticker price. At the lowest, it was cover price. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, I did not see That dude anything. got ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh... He puts us all to shame. <laughs> you see any other characters? There were quite a quite a few. Uh, at one point, I was digging through some uh, a box of comics on the final day of the show, and this guy shows up, and he's this older dude. He's got spectacles on and like kind of long hippie hair. And <laughs> okay. He comes in and he's just super loud, and he's like talking to the guy that owns the booth and like. I guess he's another dude that owns another booth, but, you know, he's just talking to this guy, like, without regard to any of us, just having this conversation for everyone to hear, right? Super loud. Mm -hmm. And then he's just aggressively going through the boxes and, like, just darting from uh, box, long box to long box. So he's, like, constantly just shifting from side to side around me, right? And just, he's got this, like, really annoying frenetic energy. <laughs> seriously and, and like the guy did not care about my personal space at all and you gotta remember this is still like kind of covid times right so yeah so even before covid i wasn't a huge fan of having people invade my personal space but this guy was you know he's the kind of guy who while he's digging through books he he doesn't care who's next to him he's just gonna like put his body up against him you know oh man yeah he's so he touched you uh I think so. I believe so. Like, with his back, with his shoulder blade. But even so, it was just... It was like, come on, man. Like, at was what it, point... Was it really that crowded? It wasn't that crowded. Uh, that's That was the thing that annoyed me, was... It wasn't that crowded, but he chose to, like, go right where I was, you know? Oh, people, so, man. Yeah, so at, at one point, when I finished that box, I decided to move to the other side, where there were, like, substantially less people... And I just decided to dig through there. And then the dude went over to where I was on that side. I was just like, come on, man. <laughs> he was he was stalking you, man. He was hunting you down. I, I guess. Like, the dude was just there to be a nuisance in my life. <laughs> <sighs> he wanted to touch your shirt so that he could be blessed with power of podcasting. He just wanted me to know that he existed. <laughs> <laughs> but... Here's the thing. So at one point, he's digging through the boxes, and he comes across a chunk of these comics that are, like, in a polyethylene wrap, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so they're sealed. And he's, like, digging through it, and he looks through it, and he's, again, he's talking out loud, and it's not like he's talking in a conversational voice. He's talking loud enough so the dude across the booth can hear him, you know? So it's not quite a yell. So the guy who was running the booth could hear him? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So he's not, like, yelling, but it's not a quiet talking voice either, you know? Right, right. It's it's just loud enough where we all have to listen to him, <laughs> whether we like it or not, you know? Yeah. So at one point, he's talking about these comics, and he says... Oh, well, okay, so here's the thing. He he looks at these comics and these polyethylene wraps, and then he, he leaves for a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, while he's over on the other side, he's talking to the guy about the Fortnite comics. He, he talks about how uh, DC Comics did a collaboration 
with Fortnite recently, right? Yeah, there was a Batman Fortnite comic that was pretty hot. Yeah, and he was talking about it, and he was saying, when I sell these at my booth, uh, they sell out, like, hotcakes because the kids just come by, and they don't care what it is. They just say, it's Fortnite, and they buy it. And they're just, they just grab him by the handful, and they're gone in seconds. And then it's almost like in that moment, like a light bulb goes off in his head, and he comes back to where all those polyethylene-wrapped Fortnites are, and he just <laughs> grabs them by, like, a bunch. He just grabs all of them, and he goes, <laughs> I'm going to take, like, he basically says, I'm going to take these, and then he just walks back to what he's doing. But I just kind of observed this entire thing happening, and I was just like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Oh gosh. Ugh. He just he just fills me with so much disgust for him. Ugh. It's pretty comical. The the funny thing is how he walked away and then came back. Yeah, that 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 was weird to me cuz they were there right where I was. Like he, so he was next to me. He had just seen it. He had just looked through it. He walked away and then he came back and just decided, "You know what?" I'm going to sell these. I'm going to make my money off these. After a moment of contemplation and meditation, uh-huh. I have come to the conclusion that I need to buy this yeah. stack of Fortnite <laughs> comics. Yeah, yeah. It, it had to be like 20 of them or something like that. It was a pretty hefty chunk. But How much per issue? They were a dollar each. So this guy was confident he was going to make more than that back. <laughs> he, Did you he see represents... where his booth was? I didn't see where his booth was. I didn't want to see where his booth was. <laughs> I didn't want to have anything to do with him. I just wanted him to leave. <laughs> and then the final guy that uh, that I ended up seeing. Now, this was this was something. So I end up finding this uh, 50-cent table, and I'm just kind of digging through it. And then all of a sudden, next to me, I hear this dude. Who's, uh, he's a YouTuber, and he's... You know, he's he's just playing it up for the cameras, and he's like, "Hey there, y'all! Welcome to my channel, blah blah blah." And I'm here at WonderCon Anaheim, and I'm talking to this guy. You know, he just, just called kinda... him this guy. No, I'm I'm just <laughs> okay. I'm just saying because he's he's just putting on this facade of this YouTube personality, just just this really annoying douche, right? Was, was he filming himself, or did someone hold the camera for him? He was filming himself. He was filming himself. He had one of those like selfie stick sort of situations or or something like that, right? Okay. So I think he was live streaming too. So anyways, so he talks to the guy that's the owner of the booth and he's like, you know, chopping it up with him and he goes, so tell me, what's your advice to people who are trying to get into comics? Uh, and, and what, and let me clarify, <clears throat> When he says people who are trying to get into comics, he's not talking about people who are trying to get into reading comics. He's talking about speculation. He's talking about selling comics, right? Scumbag. Exactly. So the the guy who's running the booth, he he starts talking to him and he's like, "Well, here's the thing. When comics for when when a movie comes out, everyone thinks that you got to get the character, right? So say they make a movie with Namor, this this was the specific example that the guy used. He goes, <laughs> he had to use your boy Namor. He should have gotten Namor's name out of his mouth. The real Namor would have slapped the taste out of him. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes, say that they're gonna make a movie about Namor, right? 
everyone thinks that you got to get the first appearance of Namor in order for you to make your money, but that's that's almost impossible because that comic is like you know super old and it's super expensive. You're not gonna get that. But what you gotta what you gotta tell yourself is you gotta look at the characters that are surrounding Namor. You gotta look at his supporting cast, and you gotta find all the comics with those people. Because when the movie comes out, all those other characters come out, and you can still buy those comics cheap. So <laughs> there you go, Albert. You you gotta snatch up the first appearance of the Griffin. You gotta, you gotta look, look for, for the first appearance of Atuma, Warlord Krang. Marina was that her name? Yeah, Marina. <laughs> yeah, not Mara. Marina, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta look for his janitor. <laughs> uh, uh, his you gotta butler. get the first issue where he has the ponytail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because those are the things that are going to be worth money. Idiot. <laughs> so the guy who was doing the YouTube channel and filming himself, was he a, a young person? Like a, He was a young person. He was a young person. Did, did you uh, interact with him at all? I didn't. I didn't want to interact. I just, I just went through my comics and then I just left. Do you think you were in the background uh, of the video when he was talking? There's a chance I might be, but you know again, who he was? I, don't, I have no idea who he was. Oh, okay. I wasn't paying attention to them other than uh, just listening to their trashy advice. Do you think that the guy running the booth knew that he was about to be interviewed? Like, was it planned or was he just put on the spot? I'm pretty sure it was planned. Like, maybe. Maybe nothing too too much in advance, but I'm pretty sure the dude went over to him and was like, hey, I'm doing a live stream for my YouTube channel. You mind if I talk to you? That sort of thing, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, just enough notice for him to ham it up for the camera. <laughs> and and plus that, once uh, at, at some point in, in their interview, he, uh, he really hams it up because at one point, he he gives a shout out to his friend over there on the other side, and his friend is over there, just completely acting like a dork too, just just for the cameras, because he's like, hey, yeah, you know, stuff like that. And so obnoxious. Like, yeah, just the worst kind of characters. I was just like, why does why do you have to be this way? Man, now I now I wish I knew what YouTube channel that was because I would totally hate watch it and and give it a thumbs down. <laughs> uh, I I wish I could have provided you with that information, but but this was just a culmination of everything that I hated about Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> what would what would you have done if he asked you that question? What, uh, what what do you have to do to get into comics, or what exa- what exactly did he say? Like, what advice do you have? Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who wants to get into comics? Yeah, like if he went straight up to you and, and asked you that, what would you how how would you have reacted? Huh. That is a good question. Uh there's a part of me that feels like I, you know, us being part of our podcast, I I'd have to I'd have to do my due diligence. I'd have to, you know, be the light of civilization and just be like don't get into it for the money. And if anyone tells you that, you know, this is an investment or a business, you're a sucker and a fool. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you shouldn't you shouldn't do this for the money because at the end of the day, you're just going to end up ruining comics for everybody else. And you're going to end up losing money on your own. Mm-hmm. If you're going to get into comics, do it because you love it and because 
you know, you you want to you want to appreciate the the medium of comics. Mm-hmm. That's it, mm-hmm. man. Appreciate, it, brother. Yeah, but this guy, but there would also be a part of me. Again, depending on how this guy approaches me, that would want to say something snide to him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and just be like, "Who are you doing this for? Is this really all that your life has amounted to?" <laughs> Your parents should be ashamed of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. <laughs>